Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I Think It's a Classic podcast. Uh, I am Tannis Gale, one of your hosts, and once again, joining me from across the country on the mic is John Brummer. John, how are you doing? I am doing great. Awesome, as am I. John, are you ready to get into today's album? Oh, I hope you are, because it was your pick. <laughs> I am definitely ready. I I have to say, before we even start talking about this... Yeah, please do. Um, Disclaimer this all you want, so people still respect you. Yeah, after. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, when we started this podcast, it was... We were going to be talking about albums that we think are classics. Not exactly albums that we think people will think we're cool for listening to. No, um, yeah. And this this is not an album that, you know, I strut around when, you know, I'm talking to people about cool bands. Although I did have a major conversation once with the, uh, with Justin Vernon from uh, Bone Aver about uh, Genesis and uh, Peter Gabriel. So my knowledge of this stuff did work out for me in that point. <laughs> That's pretty cool. You'll have to um, drop that story sometime. Yeah, it was. It's actually more interesting about how I didn't know I was talking to Justin Vernon. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, the, I realized that this does not make me seem like the coolest guy in the world. But I don't give a shit. I fucking love this album. Yeah, there's I'm some gems on nerd it. Out like a motherfucker. Um, and I'm gonna let you take the it, lead this one. Like you're gonna have way more to say than me. I mean, you know, I have opinions and whatnot, but um, and and likes and dislikes. But you're, you're taking the reins on this one. This one's your baby. I had never even. I'm gonna get into it real quick. I have never even heard this album before. I don't think I heard either of the singles before except for one song which we will get to i had heard one song i didn't know it was and i thought it was a solo <laughs> phil collins song we'll get to it um but so that you making me listen to this is the my introduction to this album like i didn't even recognize the album artwork and usually a, you know my little Whoa. adhd brain always that's the type of information i trap just yeah, recognizing and, and albums I've never heard of by their I, cover art. The reason why I thought that this would be a great album at this point in time is because so far, everything that we've done were both albums that we'd both loved and enjoyed. Well, actually, up until you brought uh, you brought in Mr. Mr. Bungles, California. Right. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, it's on now. We're going to talk about what I love. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, maybe the first few, you know, the first few episodes were us just trying to get used to it. And that's why it was easier to just pick albums that we knew the other person would like. And once you, uh, you know, kind of threw down the gauntlet, threw down the gauntlet with with California, um, I knew it was on. So this is this is probably going to be how it is from here on out. Although, I mean, I, because we do like a lot of the same stuff, it'll still cross paths. Yeah, and I, I would... don't think we'll be as conscious about it from now on. How did, so how did you get into this album, though, John? Was it just something your dad this got you is, into? This is completely my dad. I mean, my love for Genesis. Although, I mean, I have to, I have to also preface this with, I was never a big um, 
you know, like pre Phil Collins lead Genesis fan, even though I am a huge solo Peter Gabriel fan. Um, and this is, I think this is one of the last albums that I actually like. There was a, there's a small period in the late seventies to the early eighties of Genesis stuff that I like. And I think the next, it was the next album. Mama is the last one that I really liked by them. And the last two albums, two or three albums that they released as Genesis, um, including Invisible Touch, were pretty much utter garbage. Even though they're such talented musicians and songwriters, they still managed to put a gem even on a crap pop album like fucking Invisible Touch. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, I had heard songs off of this. Uh, you know, I always had access to my dad's record collection as a young lad. I, I think that I was weird in the way that, I mean, my mom explains it like I could work a record player better than her when I was three. Um, for some reason, when I saw my dad putting records on a record player, that like did something to me and I just wanted to listen to everything he had. So I had heard this whole album a whole bunch of times, but it was there was a real kicker when... I got my first stereo in my uh, fourth grade. There's a long story about how both my mom and my dad, who had separated at this point, had gotten me separately CD players for Christmas. Right. Um, the one that my mom got me stayed at my mom's. The one that my dad got me stayed at my dad's. But eventually the one that my mom got me, um, the CD player in it became... It, it pretty Wayne's much ashtray. <laughs> No, that that no, that it never became Wayne's ashtray. My sister was the only one who used a stereo as an ashtray, which is also another story for later. Um, so anyway, I ended up bringing the the stereo from my dad's house over to my mom's house, and inside of it was an accidental gift, and that was this album. And I was like, oh, I remember listening to this when I would listen to dad's vinyls. And I would just, I would play this thing on repeat. I fucking loved this thing. And I could talk to no one about it. Like, <laughs> it was weird being me as a, like an elementary school kid and a middle school kid. Of course, I could talk to people about like Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Nirvana. Even though like, I mean, uh, that was that was in middle school that I could talk to people about that stuff. And when I was in fourth grade, when Nevermind came out and my dad bought that album, I had no one to talk to about it. Everyone else was like, uh, new kids on the block. Like, and I'm like, no, what, why can't we talk about good music? And, um, so, you know, when I was in middle school, I, there, you know, there were bands I could talk to my friends about, but this was not one of them. This was not an album. And I learned, you know, as I got further and further along into high school, even more of my friends hated this side of me because it wasn't the metalcore and the punk rock and the, uh, you know, the grind stuff that we were listening to at that point. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well... Yeah. Now that we know a little bit about your history with this album, shall we get into it, John? Let's do it. All right. Uh, let's hear a little bit of the first track, the title track to Abacab. Uh, Abacab.
So why don't you uh, take the lead on this, John? Okay. Um, well, first of all, we haven't used the word mission statement in a long time, but yeah. this album kind of has that beginning. I mean, the the previous albums to this were more still kind of like coming out of the Peter Gabriel area era, and this album is definitely where you can tell Phil Collins's solo pop stylings are um, definitely coming more into focus here. This is more of a pop-oriented album than they had done in the past. Um, there's only a couple of songs reach over the seven-minute mark. Um, most of them are kind of, you know, just set for radio. And they don't have, you know, the the usual, like, prog kind of, uh, you know, the, the prog, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, the way that it flows, you know, um, these are more verse, chorus, verse, although Abacab itself. That prog sensibility, is, actually, is that what you mean? Yeah, like the way that, it, that it's uh, sequenced, the songs are sequenced or the way that they're put together. There isn't so, you know, there's more verse, chorus, verse on this album yeah. uh, than there was on previous albums. And this is actually where Abacab gets his name from is because when they were cutting this you know they were writing the song they had labeled the sections you know a b and c and at one point the way that they had formatted the sections actually spelled out abacab although th apparently the actual recorded version is more like a a c b a a yeah it's like a a c c a a b b a a c c a b b like yeah but um i do i will say the c part rules oh you, you're talking about the you want it you got it <laughs> yeah part? yeah oh yeah that, that i mean i i love this song mostly i mean this this seems to me almost i mean besides to me real quick it's uh besides the kind of overpowering synth and i mean the really loud drums <laughs> Like it really, the the drums were just when they start are just louder than anything else in the mix, oh, and, I, and I, I thought that's cool. That. I mean, oh I no, it's cool. I just, yeah. it just, I don't know. It's it's a perfect kind of on point melding of pop and prog because it has those middle parts where it's just oh let's dick around and noodle about and get back to the pop part. And I don't know. Is that I mean besides maybe moving pictures era russian on there i don't know that really wasn't a thing was it in prague i mean prague was just always no. so far fucking out there yeah prague was it was you know let's and they, they i let's mean genesis show them how much smarter we are than them yeah and genesis had a much better transition with this album than say yes did Oh yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, really for me the only good there's there's like a couple of early good yes albums, but I mean I I could go my the rest of my life without ever hearing owner of a lonely heart. Yeah. But this real. I mean, <laughs> when I it's funny because if for many years I hadn't listened to this album and my band they play up north about two hours. Uh, we we play there every three weeks. 
Mm-hmm. And every time I'd be going up north and I'd be listening to Sirius XM, I'd be flipping through the channels and I'd end up on the classic rewind station and this song would be playing. And so I would just, it, the first time it happened, I was like, why the hell am I not listening to this whole album? What the hell is wrong with me? So that's where, you know, it came back to me and I would, you know, it, it, it almost every time that I would drive up north, this song would come on and then bring me back to the whole album. That's awesome. And, and I, 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 I mean, the way that it kicks into high gear is amazing. I, I love that. It's just no bones about it. It's just like, fuck you. We are starting this. There's, there's no long winded, you know, intros. There's no wind. There's no, you know, like feeling like you're in a medieval play or whatever, you know, whatever they used to. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, there's none of that. And this is definitely one of their more rocking songs because of that. Yeah, and Phil Collins' drumming is really dialed back compared to how it used to be in that Peter Gabriel era. You know, it's not this... he's, he's, He's making a goddamn beat. He's not trying to create a symphony of percussion, you know what I mean? Well, and that's also another thing that I love throughout this whole album, especially me being a drummer. A lot of the time I'm looking for, you know, how the drummer is making uh, the songs interesting and I'm looking for, you know, technical playing and all of that stuff. There isn't a lot of technical playing on this, and I think it's brilliant for that reason. But there's odd Um, times signatures and stuff like that that he's just nailing as he's you know, singing or whatever. I'm sure he was singing and playing drums at the same time live during this era, right? No, 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 no. no. Did he go to full? uh, Did he just drum on the album then? Yeah, he drummed on the albums. Oh, okay. I thought he was Uh, doing the shit live for a little while. No, 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 no. After uh, Peter Gabriel left, he went straight out front and uh, Chester Thompson took over drumming duties uh, for the live shows. Okay. But he he did record uh, though. I had that right. And he did record them. And, I mean, I saw them live when I was in fifth grade, so, like, 91, 92 on the We Can't Dance tour. Yeah. And they do the, they, they would do this every single tour where they would have a kind of a drum-off, drum solo between the two of them. And it was fantastic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, 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 I mean, that, that's a big thing for me on this album is... It's not technical, it's not flashy, but every fucking beat is perfect. Every hit is perfect. Every it, it fits so well that this is something that people always would try to tell me in, in my playing. Sometimes less is more. Well, they he nails it on this fucking album. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I mean, as much as I say it's a little overpowering, I mean... For somebody that's an actual drummer, you're seeing it in a different light than I am. So, everybody, listen well, to John's yeah, the... opinion on this one. <laughs> on, <laughs> on the drums, because and you're you know well, you you look at it totally different than me. You, I mean, I just hear it as a piece of whatever you you see the motions that are being played, and you probably picture yourself hitting the exact you know right. See, I'm, I'm I don't even know the pieces of drums. The exact right symbol and drum is what I was about to say, so let me just say it. Uh, 
But yeah, obviously you have a lot more res and respect and, and care for the art of drumming, whereas I just kind of hear it as, oh, this is either complicated or it's simple or this is really good or this is really boring. You know, it's it's really two dimensional the way I look at it. And you have this way of yeah. looking at it a lot deeper than I. Well, I mean, it's been my life since I was 10. Yeah. But uh, the the other thing, too, that I don't like about, you know, the fact that the drumming's so brilliant on this album is Phil Collins does seem to get a lot of flack for, you know, it, it, you know it, as they got more pop, he, you know, went a little bit, he went a little bit more simpler. Yeah. And I, I that's, that's definitely a downer for me. Um, but I mean, the, 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 I mean, it's, it's really amazing nowadays, especially since all the flack that Phil Collins got when I was growing up and I kind of had to like, keep my love for these Genesis albums, a secret, a lot of people nowadays, I mean, a lot of hip hop artists are going to solo Phil Collins, which I do think is crap. Um, they're, they're going to that for inspiration. I mean, he's a great songwriter and he's a great musician. So I understand that. I just never really liked anything he did uh on his solo ventures um well besides you know in the air tonight which i think everyone has to like i think everyone signed a, a contract when they were born you have to at least appreciate the song somewhat yeah but um the amount of flack i mean i i was reading wikipedia leading up to this and i mean phil collins really gets some fucking hate that's undeserved yeah, I don't know. Even I mean, it's not like he was it's not like he was Neil Pert and you know, Neil Pert wrote Roll the Bones. Have you ever heard the song Roll the Bones by Rush? It's fucking terrible and it has a rap part in the middle. <laughs> well, and, what and Neil Pert did to like... Rush with just one song was by far way worse than anything Phil Collins did to his legacy by going pop. Yeah, that that's very true. I mean, I have to admit, even something like uh, that that "Take a Look at Me Now" song, that you know was on like every romantic movie in the fucking eighties. Even that has some really intricate piano work, and that was all Collins. So, and and you know, we were too old for this, but uh, in talking about the uh, this recording with some of my coworkers, I there's a whole generation that's a few years younger than me because I was way too old to give a crap about the Disney Tarzan movie when it oh, came out. Yeah, it, but there's yeah. there's a whole generation of people that are like, Phil Collins is my man, dude, Tarzan. Like and they've got they've actually like have this respect and appreciation for Phil Collins because he was the guy that sang the Tarzan song when they were kids. So they were like, well this guy must yeah. be cool. And yeah, I, I, I just that, found that, that super startling. Yeah. <laughs> well it's pretty cool. I mean for you know, you gotta admit for a musician that you respect it seems way more so than most to have yeah. that kind of, you know, generation gap filled by a people that grew up to a Disney movie. That's pretty fucking rad. Oh yeah. No, no, I definitely, I definitely think that that's pretty cool. Um, I have, I mean, I've heard, you know, people, I have obviously got younger friends on, uh, you know, on Facebook and they'll bring that up every so often. I'm like, Oh yeah, he did that. And that was, it, it was actually kind of interesting it's all very percussive and, and very African influence, which is also something that, you know, I highly enjoy. Another thing I guess that I was embarrassed about when I was younger is all the synths on this album. Yeah, it's but a bit I, much, dude. Some, 
It's like this 80s era yeah, of synth when everybody started playing with the new synths that were coming in. I forget the name of it, but everybody was using it. So they were... Nobody was dicking around with the sounds too much, so the sounds so similar to so much from this era, just because of well, the synths. At some point in high school, I think I realized that I just, I really do love synths. Um, now, there's... Well, you know, that we grew is, up around that dumb rocker mentality of, like, keyboards fucking suck, you know, like... Yeah. And I remember I used to think it was really cool when Ted Nugent shot a keyboard on his Behind the Music when I was a little kid. <laughs> like yeah that's badass i think uh you know the like our discovery of the locust and um even murder city like devils I, I was murder city devils uh but they weren't so that wasn't so much sense as it was organ yeah um, but i don't know it kind of it made me not think oh a piano in a band is a bad thing you know it kind of opened my eyes like oh you can do more i thought this kind of sound of keyboard died in the uh, 60s but hey there's there's a lot more we can do with this like i had no clue cool. and i mean it should be a testament to my love of sense that i barely ever touch my guitar but i'm sitting in front of a synth right now <laughs> that's true <laughs> so and i mean pretty much for the last couple of years the only music i write is electronic based with a lot of synths in it so. <laughs> well there's a practicality but, to uh, that it's way easier to do that in your own house that but is it, true that's very know. true but, uh, hey, um, enough about this title track. We've been talking about it for a near 15 minutes straight here. Or maybe even wow. more. Yeah, so... Um, Probably six hours. <laughs> so you want to move on to the next song, John? Or do you have anything else to say yes, about please. the title track? Yes, please. Okay. Um, the, I, oh, you know, actually, the, the, the only thing is, is that I think most people that were, you know, getting into this band, not really knowing about their history, probably found that end part of Abacab to be a little droney and a little dragged on too long, but I think it's perfect. It, you know, reminds me of all the things that I do like about Prague. And they made a, um, they did make a uh, decision at the beginning of writing this to make the melody simpler. And I think it works to, to good effect at the end of this track. So, yeah, I would have to agree. We would, we can go on to the next one. Yep. And uh, we'll hear a little bit of the second track from Abacab. No reply at all. So this album starts off with the strength of a mission statement like the title track, Abacab. Then we get to no reply at all, and the ball is dropped right away, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I know. You, you told me as we were having pre-conversation that you did not like this song at all. And I, um, it's like... Which I, led me to give you no reply at all. Oh! Well, I mean, I gotta give Phil Collins and the rest of Genesis credit for writing the prequel to Paul Simon's You Can Call Me Al. Actually, this is more of a prequel to uh, 
um, Phil Collins' solo work, Easy Lover, with uh, What's-His-Face from Earth, Wind, and Fire, mostly because I think that those are the, the, the horn players from Earth, Wind, and Fire playing yes. on this track. It yeah. is. It is indeed. And I can't decide if the horns are the best or the worst part of this song. <laughs> I, You know what? I absolutely love this song. Again, drumming is phenomenal. It's probably one of the grooviest beats that Phil Collins has ever laid down. Um, and I do think that this is the first song that really signaled kind of a new era for them. Yeah. Uh, because this is, this is definitely different than anything that they had done before. Um, this is not something that I, you know, I am not totally into the funky stuff, but I do listen to some of it and I do appreciate it. And I thought that this was a nice change of pace for them. Also, I do like the lyrics to it, how they kind of, it's almost like they, the lyrics they are good. Ex- yeah. I do like the lyrics they, a lot. I'll agree with you on that. Yeah. It, it, it's like almost every relationship I've been in, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. The bridge is pretty tops too. I really liked the bridge. That was kind of the only part of the song. And I was like, Oh, there we go. Why can't it be more of this? Yeah. I, it, th- that's the one thing I do like about this album too, is even though they have, um, it has that decided, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse kind of, feel to it there's always something that comes out once and you're just like i that's what's going to keep me coming back to it yeah yeah i mean i don't know it's it's yeah i don't know just lost me and that's kind of all i have to say about it do you have anything to say about no reply at all no i think i've gotten everything out that i need to awesome that was quick all right um (laughs) Let's move on to a song I really like. Um, let's check out a little bit the third track from Abacab, Me and Sarah Jane. Now, I really like this song. It was a lot weirder than I, like, I don't know, just, um, it doesn't really have a pop melody. It's kind of like this strange, almost, like, carnival tempo to it, you know? Yeah, it's got a, it's got a reggae kind of feel, like, and I think this is probably influenced from the fact that uh, the police were big at the time and the Clash were big at the time. And another thing I have to give Phil Collins credit for is, is that, he was very well versed in the pop music of you know the, it, it, he even I was watching a uh, documentary on them that was very interesting that Showtime had a while ago, and he was talking about how on the song Mama, um, right. I'm sure you've heard that one. Have you heard that one? Uh, I don't think so. But oh, continue. well, there's a part where he goes, he goes, ha ha ha, ha ha ha. And I always, you know, that was always one of the coolest parts about the song. And I, I don't know how I didn't put it together because I'm also a big fan of um, uh, Grandmaster Flash's, uh, uh, all of a sudden it's escaping me. Uh, don't push me. Yeah, the, uh, the, called the message? 
Yeah, the message. Yes. Yeah. And that's where he got that idea from. It's like a jungle sometimes. Yeah. That makes me wonder how much keep from going under. <laughs> that whole yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that that was based on that. And he said, you know, people wouldn't expect us to be hip hop fans, but we are. And I thought that that was even cooler that, you know, they had all of these really, you know, they weren't just limiting themselves, you know. Yeah, and he wasn't trying to um, make a hip hop reference in some stupid cliche way. Um, exactly. Kind of like our buddy Beck was doing on our first episode, breaking that hip hop exactly. cliche. He's like, uh, we don't need to put a a, a boom, boom. Yeah. And 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 rap over it. I can just do this other thing. You know? Exactly. And, and I think that's, that's really cool to great. think of it. A little out just a little outside of the box. And yeah. I mean Phil Collins has kind of always done that, even with his pop music, besides maybe just straight up songs like uh Invisible Touch, like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> that's just straightforward trash. It's cheesy fun. I don't hate that song, yeah. but it is garbage. Yeah, it is garbage. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I would the, really... This oh, is, go ahead. I was going to say, this is one of three songs that was you know, specifically helmed by one of the members of the band. This was written solely by t uh, Tony Bangs. And I think this one shows, because I think this has some of the strongest and most interesting music parts on the album yeah i would i would totally agree as i was listening to this i was just like this sounds like something that it's gonna pop up like on a mike Patton album like some cover of this song it wouldn't surprise me one bit like i was like hearing it in my head as i was listening to it just if that ever happens, some of the little backgrounds like ah, ah, you know like and just yeah you need to let me know it's kind of I weird and that creepy would be very interesting to hear and you know uh, what else? What this, else were you gonna say? Uh, well, this song—it totally. As I was listening to it, and it wrapped it up, and I, you know, got the whole thing in a package and was able to kind of think about it. I was like, "Well, now we know what the Beatles would have sounded like in the '80s." Yeah. <laughs> I, I like this. It's it sounds like one of those cutesy Beatles songs almost. It has that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, it it, it does, and this is one. The 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 nice thing about this song too is that the flow of it 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 doesn't really have like a chorus that it keeps coming back to, but it keeps building and building and building and building until it gets to this part where like there's nowhere to go but to climax, and then that's when it ends. And really, it's 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 just a story throughout the whole thing, musically and lyrically, and it's. You're brilliant. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this. And I got to admit, on the first listen, I rolled my eyes. But, I don't know, on a second listen, I was like, oh, holy shit, I totally missed this. <laughs> the first well, listen through, know, this is a really good one. Something that, they, something that they do here that a lot of bands don't do anymore. And that's when they take you to a, you know, they take you to what you think is like a high place in the song. And then they just went one more. Yeah. And that's what they do with the climax. They, they just, they, they bring it up another step and it has this just huge feel to it. And it's very emotional and yeah, it just, nobody does that anymore or at least not in the same way. 
it, it kind of is sad. But also another thing about this is um, back in high school, I was friends with a girl named Sarah Jane. So every time I would talk to her, it would remind me of this song. But I couldn't say that to anybody. I couldn't sing the lyrics. I couldn't, you know, be like, oh, hey, you know, I was talking to uh, Sarah Jane the other night. Me and Sarah Jane. You know, <laughs> like, it, nobody would get it. So I, it's still stuck in my head because I have all these instances of, of conversation that I, I wanted to get out, but I never could. <laughs> well, do you have anything else to say about me and Sarah Jane, or if I'm speaking grammatically correct, Sarah Jane and I? <laughs> no, I do not. All right. Um, cool. Let's move it right along to a fucking banger. This is Keep It Dark. Just what? Um, this is tied for my favorite song on the album. This, this yep. song from the second it started, I was like, oh shit. I mean, it's just got that very Berlin era David Bowie sound. And even the guitar sounds like a, like a proto riff from like My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. It just has this weird kind of sleepy tone to it, but it's really bendy and alive. And the song, the oh, lyrics yeah. just ring completely true to my point of view of the world and life. Like, yeah. I don't know. I can just, I can translate this song so many different ways. And besides the, uh, you know, the one it's meant to be is like this character who saw a vision of the future. Then he goes back and has to lie to everybody about it. And keep things dark to not ruin that well, vision it, of the future. It's not a vision of the future. It's a, it's an alien planet. He gets taken to an alien planet. Well, I mean, that's that's subject to interpretation. Cold. He does say in the future. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, that, uh, I mean, that's that you're just interpreting it a different way. And I think this is a perfect song to be like, it, it's 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 pretty specific to what it's about, but it's so general you could wrap it around a lot of different situations. Yeah, yeah, and and the lyrics in it are awesome. You know, they 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 keep with kind of the weird nature of the music. Mm-hmm. I mean, this song was actually uh, originally titled Odd. So, you know, they, they knew that they had, you know, kind of a neat little thing going. Kind but... of ahead of its time. I mean, this does... It sounds like something from the 90s to me or something. You know, besides maybe the the production of the drums sounding a little 80s-ish. You bring up the, the, the production of the drums sounding a little 80s-ish. This, I think, was the last Bastion before they went too fucking crazy. Like, to me, the, the drum sound on this is perfect. Ooh, I don't it know. We got perfect. another song later on that I think we're going to talk oh, about well, that oh, might no, no, be no, no, that no, last will... Bastion. <laughs> 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 well, you, we yeah, both know. No, I, I, yeah. But, All right, we'll I mean, this, this was before they went too crazy with the, the reverb and added way more compression to the drums it, it it sounds perfect on this album and then they just went further with it but uh i have to say 
uh, when we had our one of our pre-recording uh, conversations about this album, um, you had kind of mentioned about how you didn't like the second song at all. Yeah. And um, I, 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 I think it was the next day I was going to a gig and I put this on so you know I could keep listening and keep getting my thoughts going about it. And in my new car, I had my iPhone plugged into it and apparently didn't realize I had it on shuffle. So it went oh. through Abacab. <laughs> and then the next song was this. And I'm sitting there going, that fucking Tannis, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> he thinks song garbage. Then what the, and then I was like, wait a minute, this isn't the second song. <laughs> so I realized I had it on shuffle by accident. Uh, but yeah, this song's great. And I'm, it's one of those songs that I'm like, how had I never heard this before? How was this not a big hit? I, I learned that they released it as a single over in Great Britain. And uh, the shitty music video they had for it probably didn't help it climb the charts. But I'm, yeah. I'm honestly surprised this isn't a bigger song. Like when I, I and it's this is totally the thing that's like, hey, I want to listen to some Phil Collins era Genesis. What should I check out? Go listen to the song. Keep it dark. That's your. Yeah. Like, go listen to that. I'm going to start you off well, and, there and, so you can decide what else you like after what, what I think is the best thing off of this album. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love... Or tied for. We'll get there, there, there's a couple of things that I love about the way that this song is written. And one of those is how the bass, the, the bass line in the beginning throughout the first, like, um, up until the lyrics start, it's just hanging on that same note. And, you know, it's almost like Tony Banks is back there just, you know, banging out a few notes on the synth. And like I said, you know, they, they had made a conscious decision to keep the, the melody simple. But, you know, it seems even, you know, simpler than what maybe they were aiming for. Maybe it was, it almost felt like they were, you know, recording it. And it was like, okay, that take was good. You know, it just kind of came out by accident. But then when it kicks into the lyrics and everything changes, that's when you realize, oh, yeah, no, they were... They knew what they were doing the whole time. Yeah, this song is really something else. Kudos to the boys um, in Genesis. The uh, the other thing that I, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the album that I love about this album is the awesome use of vocal effects. Both Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel were really good at using certain effects on their vocals to really emphasize certain parts of the songs. Yeah. And there, you brought up the Murder City Devils earlier. There is actually one of the things that I hate about Thelema is the first couple of songs on it almost sounds like someone was in the studio, like, oh, should we put some echo on on Spencer's voice here? No, 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 let's put it here. And like, then the guys were like, okay, well, this is a good demo. And they're like, no, this is the finished product. And it, it didn't have any rhyme or reason to it. But, you know, this was a good example of perfect vocal effects. And <laughs> I, I always think of you when I listen to the song because of that part in the second time when they, they go into uh, kind of the, the tribal. Um, There's a lyric about him not paying his rent. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, no, the the 
when it goes into the second percussive part, uh, right before he says, keep it dark the second time. Yeah. And it, it, they hang it longer. And then he's just like, oh, keep it dark. It reminds me of like, there was, we used to have this inside joke with uh, a buddy in high school. And every time that you put, you, you had your part in it, you would be like, oh, and so, yeah, it, it just reminds me of you. <laughs> and I, I also love how, how it kind of, it's almost like an afterthought, you know, like, oh, oh shit. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Keep it dark. Yeah. It's like, he's about to, like the guy in the story is about to tell him, Hey, I, oh, keep it dark. That's right. Just gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I forgot, but keep it dark. <laughs> All right. Well, you ready to move on to the next song? Do you have anything else to say about I Keep It Dark? I am ready to move on to the next song. And I think we've said all, I, I've said all I need to say. Yeah, as have I. I kind of went off all at the start. and I listen. I love Keep It Dark. Folks, download Keep It Dark to your library, even if you don't love this album. It's just a timeless. Yeah. It's a, it's a, in the words of Scott and Scott, it's a stone cold classic. It's a, it's a big song and it is good of rock and roll music. Yes. All right. Now let's hear a little bit of the next song. Um, let's hear a tiny bit of the longest song on the album. This is Dodo Lurker. Yeah, this song rules, man. Um, this one seems kind of like a love letter to all the fans they earned in their prog days. I was going to, I was actually, I was hoping that I could interrupt you before you said that, because I was going to say, if you do not fucking love this song, our friendship is goddamn over. This song <laughs> is my absolute fucking favorite. And this is, I mean, I love the other songs on this album. But if they had released an album which was just keep it dark for about eight minutes and then 24 minutes of this song, it would be probably my fucking favorite album of all time. Like, <laughs> so you're saying, I mean, so you're saying if they made a Swans album? <laughs> yeah, it, essentially. Like, it, I, I, every time I listen to this song, I get those you know, the hairs they they come up on the back of my head. And the hair um, at the tip of your penis stands on end. Yeah. While your ass it, snipples it, get erect. <laughs> you don't know what words mean, do you? I do, from the very bottom of my vagina. <laughs> Mr. Show, huh? Oh, yeah, I couldn't let that one. <laughs> I, I mean, the first thing I wrote in my notes is, this song is a monster. I wrote a a surprisingly heavy grind of a song. Oh yeah, and that's another thing is talking about surprises on And it has album. a slow reggae part that it keeps on going into and I still think it's just a fucking uh, Yeah, it's It makes me want to go out I, I, and chop wood. Like this is what robots I, chop robot wood to. Is songs like this. <laughs> I I swear to God, at some point, I'm going to have to take my car in to get the wheel, the steering wheel fixed. And it's going to be because I listened to the song three times. Like, <laughs> when I'm drumming along as I'm driving, 
I, I, I'm just pounding. Um, and, and that brings to another thing. Uh, my, my mom and dad, uh, they went and saw this tour uh, right after this album came out. And my dad told me that they opened with this song. Which, oh, holy fucking shit, that would have been awesome. And he said that Chester Thompson was hitting the symbols so hard that it looked like the symbol stands were going to fall over. And I, I was like, I, I can't imagine it played any other way. Yeah. I, it's just, I mean, you, you can hear every single fucking, I mean, the, God damn, this song is a fucking monster. It'd be like if uh, you can't imagine somebody playing this, not hitting it as hard as possible, like Keith Moon playing the drums, like John Entwistle plays bass to Sparks or something yeah. like that. He's just... You, I, I, I couldn't. I mean, if someone, you know, was tasked to play the song, which also I, I can't imagine why anybody days would, because it wasn't. It, even in the Wikipedia entry, they don't even mention this fucking song because, and that's like a fucking travesty. Yeah, it really but, stood out to me. Really. As just a, just a almost a high watermark of quality, but I feel like there's two other tracks that are slightly better than it. But I think this is amazing. Really? Uh, yeah, I think "Keep It Dark" is a better song. And wow! And then the other one, I'm I'm bet you're going to be able to narrow it down as we get closer. But um, and I, I really I do have to admit I felt like kind of a tool after I found out that I was wrong. But, you know, the, the little reggae part that it goes into over and over again, which is very yeah. police-influenced. Like, that's what I thought of as soon as it hit. But I honestly had to go and look up whether or not that was David Bowie <laughs> singing in that part. Because, really? Yeah, I honestly thought, I was like, this sounds like David Bowie if he was doing, like, an uncredited guest thing, not trying to sound like David Bowie. Kind of like in Lust for Life, about how cool. like how he's like the backing vocals for a bunch of songs on that on Iggy Pop's album Lust for Life, and I mean yeah. even though he's credited, it it almost doesn't sound like your stereotypical Bowie. It's like he's there to more back up what Iggy's doing. Yeah, but I don't well, know. It, I, yeah, it's very Bowie-ish to me. That, that is part. a good um, that's a good example of how what <laughs> song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yes. I can't I can't figure out simple words. Uh no, it's a good example of Oh yeah, how example's they... a complicated word. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker. Oh. I think that's gonna become my catchphrase for the show. You're gonna <laughs> say something, I'm gonna say, you motherfucker. My catchphrase is just gonna be stumbling gonna over call. my words. <laughs> like I am doing right now, I'm stealing your catchphrase. <laughs> anyway, good example of vocal effects. That's yes. what I was gonna say. Yes, the vocal effects on on his voice there make him sound unlike Phil Collins, and it's perfect. Yes, I would I would agree. I would agree. Oh. Um, do you have anything else to say about Dodo slash Lurker? I could probably fucking. Uh, I could probably spend the next like week talking about the song, really. So you might want to shut me up and move us on to the next song. Uh, yeah, if we have to. All right. <laughs> um, really quickly, the, before you do that, 
Um, the uh, the reason why I was stumbling over my word is because I was looking up the the set list from when I saw them uh, when I was in fifth grade, and unfortunately, it did not have. I don't think it had any of these songs on there. Um, a lot of it was from We Can't Dance, which sucks. But they did they did do a old melody from of stuff from uh the Peter Gabriel days, which I remember being fucking awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> but a lot of it a lot of it was stuff from Invisible Touch and We Can't Dance. So yeah. but it was still a good show. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I'll take your word for it, because I obviously can't go back and experience it. <laughs> yeah. All right, anyway. well, let's hurry up and get this over with. Here's a little bit of Who Done It. Oh man, you just spent like a bunch of the last so- last couple of songs talking about how on point the uh, vocal effects are on this album, and this is where they just yeah. totally shit all over your opinion. <laughs> this is the most <laughs> yeah. British Phil seems to get on the record. Like it was weird. This is the only sound where I could point out his accent. Yeah, he's like, "Was it, it you? Was it was me? Was... I sound so fucking I Cockney." This... <laughs> Shut up! I think that this was. Like they're they were really maybe trying to be experimental, but also like new wave. And I'm still not. I mean, I enjoy the song kind of. Really, but it I I I just can't hate it. Like th- this album to me is a fucking amazing r- album. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this is not. I would like I wouldn't be like, hey guys, check this album out and then put this song on immediately. This would be the one that I was like, and we will just skip this one. If we have to listen to it, we will. Yeah. You know? It's really easy to pretend like it doesn't exist. And especially with the running time yeah. of this album, it's the shortest song. They could have just left it off. I just don't understand. Like I um, like I said, I think this was maybe an attempt to to kind of get in with uh, the new wave you know the the new wave kids yeah. it definitely has a very like gary newman feel to it yeah they just failed pretty hard i feel like yeah. and, i mean my top line for this and this goes back to the old notes that i uh, misplaced this is the same thing i i wrote are you fucking kidding me with this shit <laughs> the first time I heard this song, I was just like, oh, if John thinks this is really good, I am never going to let him hear the end of it. But you you seem like you're <laughs> self-aware with like, yeah, I, I still like it, but I know it's not good. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it is really a shame that one came after the very high points of Keep It Dark and Dodo Lur- Lurker. Well, then right before the next song which we're about to get into can we just get into the next song and be done with who done it yeah let's just fucking yeah just just start it who done it genesis did it and it sucks <laughs> all right um yep and this is the other song that is tied for my favorite on the album um this might be familiar to some of you and i'll a little more so than and i'll and i'll say as to why but here's a little bit 
of Man on the Corner. Yeah, this is the first time on the podcast where we've re-listened to a piece of the song and I started getting just a little tiny bit misty. Um, This song hit me hard. Uh, John, have you seen the Netflix show Glow? I, I, I need to finish. I started about five or six. Or, I mean, I've gotten through about five or six episodes. Yeah. Um, It, it was good. I liked it. And the the problem, like me and my dad talk about whenever, did you start this show yet? No, there's so many fucking good TV shows now. It's hard to watch them all. Yeah. But especially after going through all of Community, I'm really in a mood for more Alison Brie. Um, <laughs> she, I just, I mean, like. She rules in that show, dude. Yeah, she is just. And, and I just, I, I, lo- I love her. Like that. That's one of those. You know, she's one of those people that you're just like. I would just do things for her, you know, like. You yeah, she was my neighbor. It'd be like, oh, hey, Allison, I, I got your paper again. It's in your in your mailbox. Yeah. Paperboy left it in front of your fence. I, I, see ya. Gotta go to work now. Hey. Hey, Allison, I bought all your groceries for the week, and I, I'll take care of your kids. Uh, hey, Allison, um, I filled up your car with gas. Uh, hey, Allison, I'm laying in your closet tonight. Oh, jeez. Oh, Dave Franco would not be happy with you. Well, oh, is he? Fuck that guy. Seriously. <laughs> he gets, like, all the looks, and he gets to, like, hang out with Allison Bree. Hey, at least oh, he's not the most bitch. talented brother. He, he doesn't have that going for that's, him. That's true. But, but he's also not James, the creepiest, so that's good. <laughs> I was gonna say, but James Franco also doesn't have Allison Brie, so really, who's winning? Yes, Seth Rogen, though. That's pretty good. That's. I mean, I'd cuddle with Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. In a heartbeat. <laughs> I would listen to "Man on the Corner" and cuddle with Seth Rogen because this song makes me feel <laughs> you guys, feelings. Yeah, you can wipe each other's tears. So, before we get too off-subject with what I feel is the emotional cornerstone of this album, Man on the Corner is a surprisingly deep song, and um, since you haven't got to the second season, uh, uh, fast-forward about two minutes, if you haven't. I'm going to spoil the end of the second season for John a little bit. Um, Oh, son of a bitch. Well, there's a character who has a uh, bash. He is... He has a best friend that at the end of the second season, you don't really, he's not a character that's involved with the show. You just hear about Bash trying to track him down and he's gone missing and something's wrong. And you find out that his friend died of uh, AIDS-related pneumonia. And Ooh. this song is playing as he's learning that news at this big rap kind of party. And he's watching everybody else have fun at this party while he's literally having the worst night of his life. Because this, I don't know, they do... <sighs> It just no, I, I I can imagine it. Yeah, it just it, it, it hits seems, me so a hard. Perfect and... song. Yeah, and I, mean, I usually what hate explaining. It's a perfect song for that kind of scene. I usually hate when it's so ham-fisted with the choice of song. Like, what is it that uh? But the the example I always use is the Nicolas Cage movie Lord of War. I think it was, and uh, yeah. there's a scene where they're doing cocaine in that movie. Guess what songs playing, John? 
Is it cocaine? Yes, it's fucking cocaine by Eric Clapton. And it's just like, yeah, we get it. We get it. Like, it'd be so annoying. Like, imagine if in Half-Baked, if there's like a part where they're smoking weed and it's playing, everybody must get stoned. It'd be like, oh, come on. Yeah, we get it. They're doing the thing that the, <laughs> that the song's about. We don't need this hammered so hard. But this, using Man on, on the Corner for, you know, that scene was just, it was, it was like, fuck subtlety. We're, we're beyond that with this, like, and it was perfect. And so I can't wait till you get to that. You'll, I think you'll appreciate this song in a whole new light. I've gone off about what I feel about this song and how much I like it. How, what do you, do you like this song, John, and how much? I absolutely love this song. It's a perfect song. It's very emotional. Perfect um, was also in my mo- notes alongside Amazing and Timeless. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, this is this was Phil Collins' sole, you know, solo con- contribution to the album. Yeah, you, um, if, it definitely starts like an almost proto in the air tonight. Am I wrong for yeah. saying that? The, I, I swear to God, Phil Collins must have heard this drum machine doing kind of like that som- salsa samba beat and fell in love with it because this isn't the first album that they used it on. They used it on Duke. And they use it to great effect on Duke as well. But, I mean, it's not the first instance of it on this album. There, you know, it's the beginning of me and Sarah Jane. Right. It, it is kind of interesting. And I think that this comes from the fact that, you know, he was kind of on the up and up on what was going on musically and was trying to keep up, you know, saw that the, the you know, tide was turning more towards the, the drum machines. And the way that it comes in is actually the best i think the best that he's used a drum machine in in his whole career uh it really brings you in it it, it kind of just you know eases you in and then really they it's like they have they have a, a faucet or something they just turn that fucker all the way on and bring on all of the emotion as they get more in you know in the choruses and then towards the end of the song yeah, I just this song. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect, and it's like uh, "Keep It Dark" and "Man on the Corner" for me. Tied for my favorite song. I think it's perfect that they're tied for my favorite song because they're just they're they're definitely a yin and yang kind of feeling. Like, yeah, one one is you know kind of happier and weird, but also kind of dark, obviously. And this and, and this, this one's one super just... dark and kind of hoping for more happiness but kind of knowing yeah that it's probably not gonna happen. it's yeah very emotional but it's also like they're both big in their own way right yeah i was yeah man on the god damn i can't wait for you to finish glow this song's gonna take on a, an even bigger meaning for you do you have anything else to say about man on the corner i don't think so well super sweet um let's move on do the second to last track on Abacab and uh, take a little listen to some Like It or Not. I like this song. It's it's fine. It's 
pretty good and it's better than some of the songs on this album i feel um it also this this definitely felt like hey do you think we can do misunderstanding again yeah <laughs> i definitely see where you're coming from on that um yeah. this it's perfectly the... placed on the album i mean as a second to last song i was just like well there you go that's that's how you second to last in an album <laughs> yeah I mean, it's a great ballad. Yeah. Um, this was the, the, you know, the solo contribution from Mike Rutherford. I actually was kind of surprised uh, before I read that, you know, they had, they each had one song that they worked, you know, that they brought to the table by themselves. I figured that this would have been a Phil Collins uh, or Phil Collins would have had more to do with this than he did. Mm -hmm. Because it, it definitely has that feel you know that a very emotional kind of love song like um it's over you know like it all the things that phil collins is kind of known for solo wise it uh you know very sounds very phil collins like surprised he didn't have more to do with it uh this is also kind of you know it, it these lyrics have very much in common with, you know, my own love life, sadly, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's that's just uh, that's how it's gone. So this this song definitely has an emotional uh, has an, you know, I, I, I'm attached to it in an emotional way because of that. It's, it, you know, I can relate to it a lot. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just liked it. I mean, you know, whatever. It's good. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they kind of give you the, the options. You can either like it or not. <laughs> it's good. I like it. There. Okay, I decided. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not being a cheaty about it. For you. All right. Uh, All right. If you want to move on to the next song, I'm good. Let's do it. And, um... Let's hear the last song on Abacab. It's a song called Another Record. Um, I like this song. Uh, again, to me, uh, much like me and sarah or no i'm sorry not yeah me and sarah jane it kind of sounded like synthy beatles but that's not a bad yeah. thing no but this song was also oh. like it was also like the band kind of saying like okay we're fully in the 80s now we're doing and we're doing what this decade is doing like it <laughs> that weird kind of harmonica keyboard sound that i fucking hate um it just sounds corny, and it sounds corny on this song. I think uh, it's a good song, yeah. though. I mean, and I and I really like the uh, the kind of meta ness of it. How it's yeah. I mean, not not too many uh, albums have I finished, and as I'm finishing them, they're like, "Hey, keep listening to music, bro. Do it again. Yeah, yeah. Not I mean, this record. Put another record on. Keep going. Yeah. Music rules, and I, I just it's fucking great. <laughs> Pretty smart. Yeah." Um, I, I will say that in the albums we've done so far, you know, we've seemed to be good at picking ones that have really epic closers. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think this is as epic as the other ones. It's more kind of like, a, hey, here's one more that's a catchy tune. And, uh, you know, I mean, we kind of blew our load with Keep It Dark and Dota Loker. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, know, I kind of feel like... What do the, you expect? <laughs> that's perfect for the 80s, a decade that has really no epic music in it outside of maybe Guns N' Roses or something like that. I can't... I yeah. mean, you know, or under, I mean, I'm talking about on a mainstream level, by the way. So yeah. please don't message me. Well, I thought you said you were a Nick Cave fan, Tannis, or something. Just uh, I'm talking about well, on I mean, an I'm, MTV played yeah, during the day it, kind of level. <laughs> but yeah, you know, this album just kind of ends and that's fine too. Not every, not every album has to end with a huge closer, but I do, I do like uh, the, I, I'm guessing it's the chorus about you know the the record going round and round and i like the hook on that uh that's probably for me the best part of the song i don't like how it kind of starts and you know eases in because it doesn't they don't use that as like in great as great effect as they did in like man on the corner or uh even me and sarah jane yeah i think they kind of just you know bam went into you know the the upbeat part of the song I feel you. Yeah, I, I totally but agree. It's fine. No. Yeah, it's not bad. It's definitely uh, well, not the know, best song on the really... record, but it's not near the. It's not like Who Done It status. <laughs> we should really get the guys on the phone and let them know, you know, that they kind of, you know, maybe should have cut off a little section of the song and maybe left Who Done It on. I think that they would appreciate our our input. They'd probably, well, if... you know. If Mike Rutherford and Phil Collins want to pay our appearance fee, then they're more than welcome to contact us at any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think our appearance fee is pretty pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, all I, all I want from Phil is a, a t-shirt of that one picture of him flipping somebody off from behind his drum kit that I always thought was badass. <laughs> and can I just mention something about Phil Collins as we're wrapping up this what? record? I find it extremely weird, more so than I do with pretty much any other famous person, that that man was viewed as cool at any point in time. He just seems like a little short, angry dude. And I'm just like, how are you like Mr. I'm singing to the camera guy? Like, it just does not make sense to me. He looks like a serial killer to me. I I wouldn't wouldn't go that far, but I mean, (laughs) I think he's even... He's even, you know, brought it up in recent times. Like, I don't know how I was a pop symbol. You know, he doesn't, he didn't exude like, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't flashy like Prince, you know, he was a balding, I I wouldn't say he's an ugly person, but. I mean, he was that perfect guy for Patrick Bateman types to relate to. I mean, that whole soliloquy about him talking about Duke. It just makes so much more sense now to me after I've no, gotten into talk- Gen- he was talking about inv- invisible touch. Was he talking about it? Okay, well, you know that whole scene yeah. where he's talking about the the pop well, sensibility. Invisible touch is the perfect is the perfect album for like a Patrick Bateman. You know that yuppie, uh, you know uh, Wall Street kind of you know person. And it, I think that is mostly what I hate about you know Phil Collins's solo stuff is that. That's pretty much what it embodied. Like, you know, it has that that perfect pop sound to it. And that's 
even though he didn't he didn't look like a likely pop hero that's what got him to that status and, and you're right it probably had a lot to do with those yuppies like it, you know well he was yeah he's just so normal there all of a sudden was a dude that can sing really well that wasn't trying to be sexy and he wasn't macho nor was he wearing yeah. makeup or doing his hair crazy but then again he had this background with genesis so he wasn't just some total square bear like Beatles fanatic that decided to start a band, you know, there's more to him. He, yeah, seemed, exactly. he seemed like one of those people that uh, you could fake it with easy. Like, who's another person like that? Like, I'm trying to think of a popular rocker. Or Tool. He is like, he's like Tool. Phil what Collins is like Tool. It's where, like, you get I, into I something that's actually just kind of mostly poppy metal. But it, yeah. makes, it makes people that aren't into much else like feel like, this is my really smart band. Uh, I really love music because I'm into Tool. I could yeah. see like a Patrick Bateman type being like, yeah, I know Huey Lewis, but I, I, I listen to Phil Collins and Genesis, okay? Like, yeah. I know, I, I know I, music, okay? Like, it's that, it's that, it's that gateway to, to fake it when you, you know, for the posers yeah. of music fandom yeah no no I t yeah that that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah phil collins is that, the tool of 80s pop <laughs> that's a that's a weird comparison but i mean your logic is kind of sound <laughs> well shit john that was our episode on abacab we yeah. did it you got me through we it and it. you actually got me to like some of it i'm surprised at how much i liked more than half this album i gotta admit john you you've converted me so job well, well done. that's what i do i i i've been good at that since we were fucking teenagers so I, well since we were teenagers we're gonna pick next week's album or i'm gonna are you are you ready i am ready this is an album that um I, I was going to uh, pick another solo artist's album that we talked about the other day, which I won't say because it is going to come up eventually. But um, yeah. you, the other day, told me that you never really listened to this album all the way through. And I was kind of shocked because it was one of the greatest heavy rock albums that wasn't metal that came out in the early 2000s. And they're still one of the greatest I'm bands in rock and roll sure. today. I'm and, pretty sure I know what it is. Yeah, we are going to talk about Queens of the Stone Age's Songs for the Death next episode. All so, right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm glad, dude. I, 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 I can't wait to hear your opinion on that. It's, I'm really <laughs> excited about it. <laughs> yeah, until we get to it, and I'm like, I hated this whole thing. Fuck you. And then, and then, and then, and then the podcast is over because I'll never want to talk to you again. So. <laughs> yeah. it was a good time talking with you and i think it's time to sign off all right john um yeah. awesome well from me and from john everybody thank you for listening and y'all have a killer classic night or day whatever it is bye bye